Welcome to Currents, your leading global voice of maternal feminism. As maternal feminists, we are inviting you to join us, using our voices in the public square for the things that deeply matter, our faith, our families, and our maternal identities. The Currents podcast aims to gather women who are deliberate thinkers and women who are prepared to engage as powerful forces for good in our homes, our communities, and our world. Hi everyone, Carolina Allen here with Big Ocean Women, and we're so excited to bring to you another episode, another year where we get to discuss our awesome tenants, and I'm here with my dear friend, Shelly Spots, and we're so eager to talk to you about our first tenant of the year, which is always faith, that we are women of faith, we believe in God, and that this is a huge catalyst for inspiration, motivation, positive change in the world. Shelly, um, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. Just in full swing of, you know, holiday season and all that. And I love, I love that we're recording this now. We're recording a couple of days before Christmas. Um, I think faith in relation to the holidays and in relation to when, when we're trying to think of some of those things is so pertinent and so valuable. And then as we look forward into a new year Mm -hmm. and look into what changes we want to make, not only in our lives, but in the lives of those around us, I think faith is, is super important. It really is. It is. And I, it's funny, I'm not sure that it gets talked enough about, I feel like we need to be you know, having a conversation that is openly discussing faith all the time, because it is such a huge motivator for so many people around the world, right? Yes. Yeah, I truly think, you know, part of the tenant says um, that not only are we women of faith, but that the language of faith is intuitive to women. And I think that's really important, because I think as we speak about faith, And as we connect to others who also have faith, that becomes a motivator for why we are working for change. Uh, Because if you have faith, faith translates into this hope and this optimism and this sense that even if things aren't exactly the way that you want them right now, they are something that we can work towards changing and and create the vision of the world that we want to live in. And I don't think if you lack that faith, I don't know that change is something that you really work towards because you don't think that things really can inherently change. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, you have to have a kernel in there of of hope, hope that things can get better and hope that, you know, you can participate in it somehow. And one of the things that I often reflect on in relation to faith is that when you do decide, you have this kind of moment in your life and you're like, you know what? I want to engage. I want to be a part of this work, whatever that is, whatever you're called to do. Um, It gets really hard along the way. And Faith is what I constantly come back to, to keep me in the game and yes. to keep me engaged because it's hard work. It's really hard work to be like involved and to care. And, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes you get tapped out, like your reserves just get run so low that if I don't tap into my, what, what I call and what we call big ocean women, our source of infinite abundance, whatever that is, 
if I'm not regularly tapping into that, my well will run dry and all that hope is depleted. And I feel so discouraged. Like the work is too overwhelming for me to do. Um, I, I don't know that faith to me, that has been my biggest, it keeps us like in the game, in the work, you know, thinking I think, forward, I, all that. Yeah. And I think that inherently that is something that we have to believe and acknowledge about our own belief systems, about a lot of different things, not just perhaps um, maybe charitable work, but like the things that we feel called to do. This is really interesting because it was a conversation I was just having with my daughter. Mm -hmm. Both of my daughters just graduated from college this week, actually. And they, I know that's, they, they are two years apart in age and one of them took a, a year break. And so they graduated at the same time. They both graduated in dance and dance education. Wow. And they feel really passionate about the arts and about dance and about the ability to use the arts to change people's lives. Mm. Right. And so they're at this point this morning, they spent a good hour and a half looking for jobs, right? They're like, okay, we graduated. We need to find the adult job and we need to start supporting ourselves. And, and we had this really interesting conversation because they very much feel called to engage in the thing that they feel they have been given a talent for. Yeah. For them is dance and and drama and theater and the arts. And so they're looking at these jobs and going, yes, I could take a normal job, but I feel called to do this thing. And I know that I can change lives through it, but it can also be exhausting because it's harder. It's harder to do that thing that you feel called to do than it is to just walk a traditional path. And I think that's true of anything we choose to do that we feel called to do, right? Because I think we're just emotionally attached to it. We're invested Mm -hmm. in it. We don't want to let ourselves down. We don't want to squander this gift. Yes. Given. And that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of responsibility. You want to do it well and you do want to change lives. You want to just let this light shine. And sometimes it's scary. It is. Fail, you know, but part of, part of engaging is that failure. And in those times of failure, where you just feel like that calling is so much bigger than you, you Mm. have to look above, you have to look up and say, God, help me, like, give me that vision again, rekindle that love, rekindle that energy. And And it happens every single time, every time you ask. Yes. Well, Well, and I frequently find that how it happens is through other people is, you know, you're like, I I do, I feel tapped out. I feel emotionally exhausted. All of these works, they, they are, they're draining. And um, when I ask for help, what I find is I find community. And I think that that's the other thing that's really important about faith is that faith builds community and not just a community of others who shared the exact same faith as you, because that can be very one-sided and very um, like 
like you all are heading the same direction, right? But it creates a very diverse, very dynamic community with people who might believe very different things. But you all have faith that change can happen and you all have faith that things can be better. And you all have a faith in, in a divine abundance and in something that is greater than ourselves. And that sharing of faith and especially that sharing of faith that's very different I find is the thing that refills my cup. It's it's yeah. the thing that helps me, you know, continue and and find answers that I maybe wasn't looking for to questions I didn't know enough to ask. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. It's true. I think that when you surround yourself with people that are engaged in a work that's different from yours and they are feeling inspired, like, you know, for example, like, let's take the arts, just yeah. a beautiful, you know, representation or, you know, like through dance or through music or through, you know, the visual arts, visual arts, and you can just feel that inspiration for a minute. It just fills you back up with that something because yes. you've seen others achieve something great and that is really inspiring at the end of the day, even in sports. Like when, when somebody plays a sport, that's just so, they do it so well. It's like a work of art and you're just watching, you know, them like almost painting a masterpiece, but they've just, and they've worked so hard at it. So, yes. you know, I think that we can appreciate that in other people and it rekindles that spirit within ourselves. Yeah. You know, yeah. And I think to me, creativity and faith are so deeply intertwined. So right? true. This idea yeah. of, and, and this was something you mentioned sports. And, and I think this is funny because I have, I have four children and the oldest two are dancers and actors and, and very deeply involved in theater. My third child, my son is a theater tech. And then my fourth child is a football player <laughs> and for a long time because we were a we were a theater family we yeah. went to the plays I helped sew the costumes we you know manned at the ticket booth we did all of the theater parent things and then he does football and I never watched football I was a I myself was an orchestra person right so I yeah. have no idea what's going on but I realized as, as I watched him play and as I watched him dedicate himself to practice and to the things outside of practice that would make him better, right? To right. his nutrition, to his workouts, to his academics so that he was in a place where he could play. Uh, I realized that for him, it was the same type of creativity wow. that theater and dance were for my older children. Yeah. So, and he was dedicated to it in the exact same way. And it brought him some of the same opportunities of really connecting with people and of creating community and of being able to serve others. And, and so, yeah, I, I think that that, when we look at creativity and we look at the way it connects back to spirituality and to curiosity and to faith, I think anything that we do that we feel called to do, anything that we're passionate about can be that connection. It can. And I love the family, like seeing that within the family context, because as parents, you look at these little tiny, completely unique creations that you, you know, that have, that yes. you get to see them develop into 
their own selves and to see the things that they are passionate about is just a beautiful thing to witness. And then to support them in that, um, it's amazing. I feel like yeah. within the greater context of our human family, um, and this is something I really wanted to talk about. And it just, I just remembered, um, the chance that we have to give one another gifts of self yes. is what refuels us as a whole, you know, within that human family context. Mm. And it's not, you know, when we look at different global economies, so we have, um, you know, capitalistic exchange economy, which, you know, many nations in the Western world, um, you know, subscribe okay. to. And, yeah. yeah. And then we have, you know, communistic um, economies that are very much, you know, centralized and then redistributed and all of these different things. There's this whole world, this whole other economy that I know Big Ocean Women talks a lot about, um, call it the maternal economy, but it's, you know, a gift economy. Um, right. And where we, you know, we have these internal gifts or ways that we want to share bits of ourself with the world and edify the world in this way. And when we can see each other for these beautiful gifts that I believe are God given, um, and we can support one another and maximize those gifts, everyone is blessed. Everyone is uplifted. And it's, you know, um, I think it's part of the wonder of being a human being on this planet is the chance to see each other in that light. Yes. Like, you know, see somebody and for their contributions, for their gifts, for their talents, for their skills, there's something unique about every single person on this planet. And well, and to be able to see them and 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 to share our own uniqueness with them but then also to be great receivers yeah of other people's uniqueness right yes. and and i think that takes attention i yeah. think i think it takes an awareness of what other people have to offer not in a physical sense but in a spiritual sense yeah Right. And, and an awareness of, of what's happening in the world. And as we're having discussions with people and a little bit, it takes time. We live so frequently in this very busy, very bustly, very, you know, one moment to the next, to the next, we're doing all sorts of different things. And if we aren't taking the time to look around us and to forge relationships and connections with other people, we miss those beautiful gifts that they have to offer. Yeah. And, and I think that that, then we're denying that to ourselves. It's so true. I think that one of the greatest gifts that we can give one another is to see them. Yes. To slow down enough where you can see who they are in a spiritual way. And I think that like the spirit to spirit connection, when one spirit acknowledges the other, and it can be just as much as like a smile or an eye to eye contact. That's yes. our world. We're just so glued to screens and we're like, we sometimes hardly look up, you know, just to even see somebody's face. Um, but, but having that kind of a connection, like you said, awareness, it takes time. It takes intentionality. And right. um, 
but something is sparked there. Like you said, this, this deep feeling of connection and community. Yeah. And yeah. It's, I think that this holiday season, I have really been thinking about gift giving and gift receiving um, with this whole underground economy that um, that is perpetually fulfilling and abundant. Like, you know, it's like this, we always talk about feedback loops when we're talking about sustainable sustainability and economics, but it's this beautiful, ever flowing feedback loop that just sparks. It really is. And once, once you really believe in it, I think you start giving in ways where you're, you don't expect something back, but you do receive, you receive so much back in, in other ways. Right. Yeah. I remember um, when my kids were young and we had just moved into the house we live in now and we were planting the front yard, right. The, there was no lawn, there were no flowers, there was nothing. And, and it was really a kind of people, you know, how people, you know, had, had arranged and planted and we would go on walks and I would stop and I would look at people's yards. Cause I'm like, well, what are we going to do? Are we just going to put grass? We have to have an area for the kids to play. Um, our kids were, were much smaller then. And I remember walking past this house and an old couple was out front and they had to have been, now I was younger. So everyone looked older to me then, but they had to have been in their seventies. They were, they were old and they were planting a tree in their front yard. Yeah. And I stopped and had a conversation with them. He had worked for um, a university extension service. He knew a lot about planting. He had all this knowledge yeah. to give. And so he's telling me what sort of trees do really well in our environment, What what is native and why you don't want to plant plants that aren't from around, you know, where we live and giving me all of this advice and all of this just beautiful knowledge and then turned back with his wife and they're planting a tree. And he says to me, my wife and I have planted a tree every year we've been married and we've been married for 50 years. Oh, I love I that. Have a tree every year, which I love. I, I just love the idea of, but they're like in their seventies now and they're planting this tree that they are never going to see grow yeah. to maturity. Right. Yeah. Even optimistically, it takes more than 15 years for a tree to reach maturity. So they're yeah. planting a tree for other people to enjoy. Yeah. And I think that's the heart of this sort of cycle of a gift economy is doing things that you know other people are going to enjoy and are going to be able to take part in and that are going to feed them and are going to spark joy and hope and faith for the other people in your community and in your life and and in your relationships and hopefully they're doing the same thing and it does it creates this feedback loop of gifting and of awareness and caring and dedication to one another. And, and that's really what is at the heart of a really vibrant community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's um a lot of indigenous cultures around the world have this very deep understanding where you give generationally. Yes. I think we need to bring that back to our mainstream way of thinking and doing things. Yes. And it's not 
you know, we want immediate results. We want immediate outcomes. We want everything is just very rushed and very impatient. Um, but the greatest, the most treasured things are things that last right. on time. And I think gifts that you can give legacies that you can have should always have this long-term presence in mind, you know? Yeah. Just- and I think as we dedicate ourselves more to that ideal of sort of the longevity of things, yeah, right. That leads us more into um, more stable environmental, environmental issues, because we're not feeding into fast fashion and fast, you know, yes, fast yes. cuisine and and all of those things that that create such um, such harmful environmental impacts because we need it right away and we have to you know have it immediately. But it's not something that will last. Yeah. Yeah. And so looking at everything in our lives with this idea of of something that not only you're going to enjoy but that might be handed down to enjoy. is, is I think really, really helpful. And that goes, you know, for physical, physical things, as well as more spiritual things, because what lasts, because it's not, it's not the things, right, as we're thinking about Christmas, it's the experiences, the interactions, and, and it's a way of being and a way of finding happiness and joy. Um, I was reading an article with a study they did because there, there have been a lot of uh, universities that are, that are trying these new experimental um, classes and courses on happiness. Yeah. Right? And so they're building these, these course offerings around teaching their students to be happier. And how do we, how do we find joy and how do we find happiness in our lives? And a lot of them focus on this idea of longevity and of, of slowing down, of enjoying the moment, of making connections. But there was this really interesting study that that was done that showed that students who had a really strong faith tradition of any sort, it was it didn't have to be a particular faith tradition, they inherently knew all the things that these courses were trying to teach them. Yeah, and students that go to faith-based universities aren't having the same type of problems that are leading these other universities to build these courses. Interesting. So, so they, you know, they were saying like these happiness courses are super effective, but students who have a strong faith tradition don't need them. Yeah. Because they already have those understandings. Yeah. They, they have that built in. Yeah. I think that that's amazing. Wow. One, one thing I was thinking a lot about as well is that Truly, when we're talking about longevity and and gift giving, like human beings are the ultimate gift. Yes. And speaking from a maternal feminist lens, women give this gift of people, <laughs> of community <laughs> to the world. And um, how much I would love to see um, like an as an end result of a successful, you know, movement, if women could be seen as these precious gift givers of giving just human life. Yeah. Because in every time a child is born, it's like an infinite universe of potential and possibility and wonder. And who is this little person going to become? 
what gifts have they brought with them to bless right. our human family with? And I think we've we've fallen so far away from experiencing humanity like people, you know, as this wonderful gift that we've we we're seeing them kind of like as this plague on, you know, and I, how much life would change if we saw it differently, you know? Right. Because we do, we tend to um, culturally see human beings. Um, we put a price tag on them. Yeah. We, there's a price tag on education. There's a price, there's a price tag on everything to do with, um, with children and with raising a child. And, and I rem remember reading a, an article that talked about how much it cost to raise a child from when you had them to when you send them off to college. And I thought, well, great, but how much are they giving? Yeah. And how much do they have the possibility to give? And when we relegate people to a physical cost, when when we relegate them to this exchange of, well, I'm giving this much so you have to give me that much for 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 having you know brought you up right yeah. we we cheapen the gift of life yeah and of saying look this is something i chose to do and and having these children who have so much potential i i really have been thinking about this and it is probably a result of having kids the age that mine are as yeah. they start to you know, figure out what they want to do with their lives. And I'm so excited to see what they do Yeah, because they have so much potential and, and they're so interesting and they're so fun. And no one tells you when you have your children and they're these small infants <laughs> that they're going to grow up into people that you love yes, and that you like, and that you can be friends with and that are funny and and so when we right we sit so around true. we were it's sitting so around last night and I'm just laughing at my kids because they are they are making jokes and they are talking and I thought I I like these people yeah and yeah. I feel like we don't ever talk about that part of raising children yeah. is that someday they're gonna be adults and and they have so much potential. And, and the cycle of caring, like, you know, it, it yeah. comes back. Yes. Beautiful thing too. I, I love demography because you can like just span out and look at countries with different ages and what's happening. And there are a lot of countries because of their one child policies, they can't sustain their own growth yes. anymore. Yes. And it's so sad. Their entire villages and towns and cities that are just empty they're empty because that that vision of a child as being a gift and a blessing a blessing it has not been protected and where you know like you said human humans have been relegated to just this cost yeah. but you don't long term you you see that all of this nurture and all of this care bears fruit yes. far down the road and not only bears fruit in these, you know, just in these very profound ways where, you know, entire countries are having to, you know, pull in immigrants to even carry the load of running, right. you know, community yeah. nations. So because it's like, they have, 
they have no people left. They have no people. Exactly. And I, yeah. I love like, like spanning up and just like looking at things from a bigger bird's eye perspective, because then it really puts things into this kind of a more clear understanding of right. what we're dealing with. And I think that so many issues um, should be talked about from that lens. Um, you know, I think, I think it would really bring a lot of perspective. That perspective is super important. I remember taking a class um, in college when I was a freshman and I had to take an economics class. It was a requirement because I am an English major <laughs> and I was like, I am not a numbers person. So it was a difficult class for me, but I remember this whole section on opportunity cost, right? And applying this, this lens of what is something worth and what are you losing by doing that one thing? And, and I remember thinking even then as like a 19 year old freshman, they don't have a vision of everything because when you boil everything down to an opportunity cost, you're missing all of the spiritual aspects of it. Yeah. Everything cannot come with a price tag and especially people because you're missing just so much of what makes the human experience worthwhile. And I, I'm so glad that you shared that because we're kind of in a fork in the road, the way I see it, um, where we either preserve our humanity or we move into this, you know, transhumanist existence where right. everything is kind of boiled down to this cost, you know, like outcome scenario um, and where I think that the people pushing for transhumanism need to have this conversation. Like what will be lost is our actual humanity. So it's like yes. in the quest for, you know, um, I don't know. Practicality, yeah. you know, taking the most out of the environment and the most out of everything we can, you know, profiting the highest profit. Yeah. Maybe does speak to why I think my daughters and me, I'm a writer. My daughters are dancers and, and theater majors. I I think this is one of the reasons why the arts calls to us so strongly. Yes. Because you cannot put that price tag on the value of art. You can't, like maybe, maybe after the artist is dead, you can sell the painting for, for whatever price tag, but you cannot put a price tag on the act of experiencing art. Yeah. And yeah. that in itself is, is an act, I think, of hope, an act of faith, an act of looking forward to so much of art is about how we can create a better world. Yep. You know, so much of it is exploring what makes life difficult and how humanity overcomes it. Yeah. And, and those are the things that I think possibly may be able to shift us out of this transhumanistic movement because you can't, you just cannot commodify art in that way. Yeah. Now they're trying to do it with like NFGs, like non fungible tokens and different yes things. and the it's artists like are like that. no <laughs> yeah i don't well, know and, and i see that to... happening with ai with the discussion yeah. over ai and and you know can an ai create art and i think there there's been a little bit of a backlash which is a positive movement 
where people are going, okay, it can it do something? Yes. Does it make it human? Does it make it a human experience? No. And I'm seeing more and more people look at the whole AI movement and, and this online movement and go, no, we are deliberately choosing a, a slower form of living. We're deliberately choosing experiences that are off the internet. We're yeah. deliberately yeah. choosing artistic experiences that are created by real humans yeah. that yeah. bring that, because all of those things, we lose the connection. We lose that human connection and that community and those things that make, you know, living a vibrant experience. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. I think that there are things that we just, that's why I believe conversations like this need to be happening in every, you know, home and yes. every space with, you know, as many friends as possible, because we are coming to this, um, this dichotomy of paradigms almost. And we need to discuss what would be lost yeah, you know, before it's too late. And I think, um, yeah, I, I think that women intuitively have a lot to say about that um, because we are the ones. We are Our the ones. Human life comes through the body of a woman. Yes. We know the cost. We know the pain. We know what victory looks like in overcoming and to to give all of that for one human life, one precious human life. And, and so human humanity is built into the woman's body. And yeah. I think that, um, the more that we talk about, you know, these, these gifts and this maternal feminist movement and, you know, this maternal economy, this gift economy. And I, I have to say, I have to give a huge shout out to Genevieve Vaughn, who is like the mind behind the gift economy. Yes. Uh, talk so much about women and mothers and their bodies and all of and this. You know what? I actually think we have a, a discussion with her that we will republish after we have this discussion. Yes. So we'll probably do that as, as our next podcast episode. Let's so but yes, Genevieve Vaughn is just, she, she is, I think one of the first people that started really bringing attention to this, the, the idea of the gift economy and the maternal economy. Yeah. Exactly. So. Yeah. But yeah, it, I think that women have a lot to say about this and I don't see any kind of a future that most all women that I know of <laughs> would, would want in the trajectory of transhumanism. I think transhumanism completely obliterates all of our divine spiritual gifts to humanity. Like yes, no place for us there. Unless yeah. neuter ourselves and we become these like, you know, I don't know. I don't know what that world looks like, but I know women don't have any part in it because our, our purpose and, and who we are in this kind of cosmic metaphysical way, it is to give life. It is to bear life and to bear witness to that life and all of the humanity that comes with it, all the creativity, all of the nurture, all of the you know, all of these other spiritual gifts are kind of wound up within us. Yeah. The storytelling, the, the recounting, uh, women tend to be the ones who are the storytellers. Yeah. They tend to be the ones who keep the histories. They tend to be the ones who, who connect one generation to the next generation. Right. And all that care work that, you know, yes. the world wants us to view as being ultimately 
a burden and a burden, yes. which is hard. it's hard. I mean, no, it is hard. Yeah, it is hard. But what is happening during this care work is this interweaving of human hearts, mm-hmm. traditions and generations that are bound together through these gifts. Yes. We, you know, these are old, like, for example, creating a magical Christmas for a family. Like so many women think of the little details and, and it's just early mornings and late nights, making sure that our kids are having this magical experience. Yes. It's work. It's it is work, work, but it's the work it of work. spirit. And I think that there's been a sort of a uh, narrative that wants us to see it as work. That's not worth it. Right. And yep. at the same time, those, those times, and it's not the giving of gifts, it's the spending of time and it's the the experiences, right? I I think it builds stronger relationships. It builds moments that you can look back on and think about. It builds um, memories. And all of those things create stronger individuals. So as we're raising our kids, as hard as it sometimes is, it is, it is a work of crafting individual connections and memories and relationships that are going to see them through their life and then yeah. help them do the same Both thing. Psychology. It's like, yeah. it just, it lays the foundation of safety yes. for, for children where, cause right now we're having a huge mental health crisis, like the world over just, and um, yeah, it's just amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. So I think the, and I do think this ties in so well with with this um, tenant of faith, because you have to have faith that what you're doing is making a difference. Yeah. Because yep. in in the day to day, we can get bogged down in how hard it is. Yeah. Right? And I do this. This is another conversation I had because I went back to school when my kids were in junior high and high school. So I I finished my bachelor's and then I had my kids and I stayed home with them. And that was a choice I made. And it is, it it was so rewarding for me and it was hard, right? I think it would have been easier to be going to school, to be working because, because those moments of work in the home, they are difficult. But I went back to school and I got my MFA in creative writing and I'm teaching, um, you know, classes and I have all of these students. And my daughter did say to me, because she's looking forward towards, you know, what is she going to do with her life? And she said, do you wish you had finished school and put that as a priority before having your kids or, or had us go to daycare so you could finish school? Um, because, you know, I've said I finished in my late thirties, I'm in my forties now. And, and I feel like I'm just starting within the creative work I want to do. That's outside of the home. Right. But I never would trade the creative work I did inside the home for that. And it's, it's a non-traditional path, but it's a creative path and it's an inspired path. And it's one that has given me so much in the way of knowledge of what I want to do and what I want to say and how I want to work in the world. Yeah. And, and all, all of that experience just has, yes. you know, given you all of these other ways to contribute and to share and express yes. 
And I think too often we do not value other ways of knowing and raising children. That's another way of knowing and working in the home. That's another way of knowing and native and indigenous values and stories. Those are other ways of knowing. And we tend to privilege, you know, the one path that, that is seen as valid, which, you know, doesn't work for everyone. And, and tends to devalue women's roles. A hundred percent. Oh, yeah. Especially in different countries, you know, Big Ocean Women, we're international and we have the privilege of knowing so many women from so many different walks of life, so many yes. different backgrounds, how enrich, enriching it is to, to have that. But <clears throat> sadly, in many parts of the world, their contributions, their creativity, their ways of knowing aren't legitimized, you know, that they're just seen as, um, burdens visible. Yeah. So it's too bad. That's, I think where the feminism from maternal feminism needs to take action. Right. Those are the things that we want to see changed. Yeah. Because we're, we're, we're losing all of this creativity and all of this inspiration and all of these contributions to our societies that can be made when we devalue, you know, over half of the over half of our population because we don't see their knowledge and their experiences as legitimate. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, this has been such an awesome conversation. So much to think about. Yes. Love all of your thoughts. Um, I think it's a perfect conversation to have in this holiday season and then in preparing for this next year coming up. Right. As we look at, you know, what what do we want the next year to look like? Yeah. And I think we can make really deliberate choices about how we contribute to the world around us. Yeah. And and that's driven by our faith in the fact that the gifts we have to give can make a difference. They really can. Yeah. I'm excited for this next year and see to see how all of our different gifts within Big Ocean Women, all of the women can, you know, just spark our gifts even more and then just blast it to the world. Yeah, uh, I think we'll be seeing lots of beautiful changes. So, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Shelly. You have been listening to Currents, a podcast by Big Ocean Women. You can find us on the internet at bigoceanwomen.org, on Instagram, and on Facebook. We are each one powerful drop in a big ocean of change. Join us in one of our local chapters, Waves, or Women Achieving Vast Empowerment. Our music is First Rain by Ian Post. Editing and production is by Fifth East Productions. Please join us again next week for in-depth discussion about interesting ideas and about people who are trying to make a difference in their communities.